Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. already finished our series on Simply Christianity, and this week we are into a new series called Deconstructing the Deconstructed, and today's message is Crisis in Faith. So at this time, I'd like to welcome up Pastor RJ. Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see some of you got the memo on the jerseys. I wore mine today. It even has my name on it. So for those of you that are a little bit younger, um, the Toronto Bay Leafs um, are from a John Candy Saturday Night Live skit years and years ago. But this fictional team probably has as good a chance of winning as the... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I hope I see some of you have some football jerseys on, so I presume some of you are going to watch a game of football tonight. Um, I'm looking forward to the food. My wife makes this amazing honey sriracha sauce, and, and uh, uh, it's, it's, it's Mike approved. <laughs> hey, you can come to my house. I won't be there. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> I'm going somewhere else. But um, anyway, while we're talking about food, I want to remind all of you to participate in our church fast. Which begins on uh, Thursday, and uh, I hope all of you have registered for Teams Appreciation. If you've been serving in the church over the last year, 2023, uh, please make sure that you get registered for that. And people are like, oh, you're serving food during the fast? And I'm like, well, yeah, because most people are going to do a modified diet during the fast. I mean, how many of you plan to go 40 days without food and water only? And there's there's a half a dozen people in the in the room that have the capacity to do that because you've been fasting on a regular basis and you've built yourself up to that. So we need to get closer to that, but it's, it's, it's not real, realistic for me to expect that. So the other thing that happened is this year, um, Easter fell really early, <laughs> really, really early. And um, oh, by the way, um, Victoria is also a very good cook. I told you I was going to call you out for that. That was some really good... Uh, we had, we had a good meal the other day. You can wave at everyone. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Today we're going to begin a four-part series on deconstructing the deconstruction. And deconstructing or deconstruction, it's been this buzzword in some circles. Um, some of you might have heard it. Uh, people get confused on this word because deconversion and deconstructing seem to be synonymous, but they're not. And, and there's multiple definitions uh, that people use for this deconstructing or different contexts by which they use it. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at a crisis in faith, a crisis in beliefs, a crisis in the culture, and a crisis in the church. Now, the challenge for me delivering these messages is all four of those things are interconnected. So even though I've given them a subtitle, you're going to find that there's overlap. Please don't get distracted by the overlap. 
So if I'm talking about faith and I bring something culturally into it, it's okay. Don't miss the point of the conversation. We doing okay so far? Now, let's go to some definitions. And, and this is going to start, and then I'm going to try to simplify it. So don't get lost on this because this loses me, which is why I'm going to read it. Deconstruction. <laughs> A philosophical or critical method which asserts that meanings, metaphysical constructs, and hierarchical oppositions as between key terms in a philosophical or literary work are always rendered unstable by their dependence on ultimately arbitrary signifiers. Y'all tracking with me? The analytic explanation or examination of something such as a theory often in order to, to reveal its inadequacy. Um, how about we simplify that? Breaking ideas down into smaller parts or simpler terms. Is that one okay? Okay, let's go with that. Um, I, I want to take another step. So remember, deconversion or departing from the Christian faith would be one possible outcome of deconstruction, but deconversion and deconstruction are not interchangeable synonyms. Um, and... Truthfully, the outcome of deconstruction should not be deconversion, although sometimes it is. Now, when you start looking at these concepts, you'll hear the name of Jacques Derrida, to whom a lot of these conversations kind of go back to. But truthfully, you can go back as far as guys like Plato and Socrates, and there's some of these things in, in, in rougher form. But what they're doing is they want to examine the relationship between a text and what the author of the text is trying to communicate. And there's some concepts that they do when we're looking at deconstruction. So even if I was to go back to that previous definition, it's a, it's a philosophical technique or critical method, okay? So these, these structures, and then they create opposing views within the structure. And what they're trying to do is say, when I look at a text, or in our case, the scriptures, right? Is the author of that text really communicating with the words that they used exactly what they were trying to say? Because, you know, there's this concept in philosophy that, you know, words represent, <laughs> words on paper represent ideas and thoughts, but we'll never capture all of our ideas and our thoughts with words is kind of the um, assumption that's made. Now, when we look at this, there's a word logocentrism. And, and, you know, we know logos is the word. In the beginning was the word, you know, and centrism has to do with the central principles. It's a simply a belief that there's an ultimate reality or center of truth that can serve as the basis for all our thoughts and actions. Now, we believe as Christ followers, as Christians, that the word of God or the Bible is the central part of our belief system. And then within that... Um, Logocentrism has to do with an assumption that something lies beyond our system of linguistic signs or language, right, spoken, to which written work can refer to substantiate its claims to be authentic. So it's just talking about how the words written, okay, um, and the words spoken, there's these spoken things that refer to these written things that kind of it's, it's a philosophical principle that is very, like, circular, and I'm like, man. But here's a center. Let me give you a center. Maybe that'll make more sense. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
That is a centering statement, and we build upon that statement other concepts. So if God created the earth, then therefore the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If God made everything good, then everything was created good. Um, or I went through a series recently on the I am statements of Jesus. How many remember that? Were any of you here for that? Were some of you awake for that? Some of you are awake now. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Those statements are very centering when Jesus made them. Or, you know, I'm going to use this one for today. In the Gospel of John, he's writing in the beginning, and he talks about, so the word became flesh, or the word became human. So the Logos, Jesus, right, revealed himself to humanity. He became one of us and started living among us. And, and this is the perfect marriage of the words spoken, the word became flesh, the words written, the intent of the author to communicate truth. It's pretty straightforward to me when I read it in whether I read it in Greek or Latin or whether I read it in English, the word became flesh. Within that, we have the, the author pretty clearly communicated what he was trying to say. But what happens is when we start deconstructing things, we tend to simplify things and we start asking a lot of questions. And the second part is we create these binary opposites or, or two opposing parts. Can everyone say two opposing parts? And then we re-examine it from that context to make sure that we got the author's original intent. So for instance, um, a binary opposite would be good and evil. You can't really have a conversation about good without also having an understanding of evil. So the two are inherently the same conversation, according to philosophy. So, so you know, light and darkness. You can't talk about light without an understanding of darkness. You have to have an understanding of one part of it to understand the other part of it. So in 1 Chronicles 16.34, the scriptures tell us, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So within this, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. It says, God is good. Everyone say, God is good. So what I'm going to try to do now is deconstruct this. Well, I'll show you how a deconstruction would work, and maybe other people would deconstruct it differently or better than I. However, um, with the logocentrism and the structure of the statement and then converting the language into a binary opposite, we start asking questions like this. Well, how good is God really that it's talking about in this verse? Is he like good, good? Or is he good with a little bit of evil? Because we know good and evil are on the same spectrum. And if you're talking about good, you have to have an understanding of evil. Or is he like a perfect balance of good and evil? Or is God really evil? Like the Old Testament God that we know is a megalomaniac, megalomaniac, maniacal capricious. I, I don't believe that, but some people do. And they kind of differentiate between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God, even though the Bible says, I am the God that doesn't change. Same God, okay? Different revelation, different covenant by which he interacts with man. Same God. But see, what happens is, where does God fall on the scale of good and evil? And you start asking questions. Now, what you have to understand at the very core of this, it's always going to be biased based on the viewpoint of the beholder and your understanding of good and evil. 
So if you're trying to judge God on his goodness, well, you're probably not really qualified because unless you have goodness within you, the only goodness we have is, is from Christ, right? Christ in us allows us to be good and understand good. Without Christ being good, we tend to go to the other end of the spectrum, way on the other end of the spectrum. Even you that think you're really righteous, without Christ, you can be quite evil. So what happens is we have this biased viewpoint of good and evil, and we have to understand good and evil. And there's a crisis that happens when you start asking all these questions. Now, here's what I want to explain. When we look at a crisis in faith, and I think that everyone needs to have a good crisis in faith at some point in their journey. Wait, what? (laughs) People are going to question things. They're going to question their faith. And I think that that's okay. I didn't say it's fun. (laughs) I didn't say we like having it. I just said, I think everyone's going to get there. Everyone should go there. And, And let's look at what the scriptures say on this. In James chapter 1. For you know that when your faith is tested, that's a crisis. That sounds like a little bit of a crisis in faith for me. Your faith is being tested. Your endurance has a chance to grow. That's verse three, right? James 1, 3. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You'll be more mature. You'll have a better understanding of something. I mean, how many of you gave your life to Christ, became a Christ follower, and instantly you understood everything? about the kingdom of God, about how the world works, about the balance of good and evil and how God's sanctifying you and redeeming you and bringing you. How many of you understood everything right away? How many of you still don't understand everything? Thank you for your honesty. The rest of you are lying. (laughs) First Peter one, six and seven. So be truly glad. There's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials. For a little while. Sounds like a crisis in faith. Okay. These trials will show your faith is genuine. It's being tested as by fire, test, and purify. Oh, it's being tested as fire, test, and purifies gold. Your faith gets tested just like fire purifies gold. Your faith gets tested by trials. I don't know about you, but the fire that melts gold is usually pretty hot. Hotter than I want to touch. But the trials that we go, it purifies us. So there's something that happens inside of us when we go through trials that proves that our faith is genuine. And your faith is more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And then my friends a little bit earlier, uh, Harrison and Evelyn, they, they, they read the scripture earlier in Acts 17, verse 11, where the scriptures tell us, search the scriptures for truth. The people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They listened eagerly to Paul's message, and they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And you'll hear me say this again and again and again from this platform, follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm doing what I can to be a Christ follower and I'm trying to live a holy life and I'm doing the best I can to deliver truth to you, follow me as I represent him. But if I get off course and I start teaching false doctrine or if I get into moral failure or sin, then stop following me. I'm only human. Only follow me as I follow Christ. And and this is what they're talking about there. They had even the apostle Paul who wrote a lot of our New Testament 
the Berean Christians looked at the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was really accurate. And you should go home each week and look at the scriptures and say, did Pastor RJ preach the word of God accurately? (laughs) And most of the time, I'm going to hope your answer is yes, (laughs) because I do my best. But see, this idea of, uh, or this concept of aligning your life more accurately to what the Bible teaches, um, and then Jesus reveals um, verse, your experience, what other people have taught you or what other people have demonstrated, there's a big difference there. Reading the word of God truth and seeing how Jesus is revealed. See, we should examine what we believe and why. Why do you believe what you believe? Just because someone told you or because that's truth from the revealed scriptures. Now, let me give you a for instance here. My view of God as good could be rooted or founded in a religion, what a denomination or a church teaches. Um, A professing Christian could have exhibited some aspects of the goodness of God in their life and their teachings or how they lived or the experiences that they went through. Or it could be revealed to me through truth in the word of God, the scriptures. Now, if Jesus founded his church, how many know that Jesus founded the church? Peter and Jesus, they're talking with the disciples. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yep, upon that revelation that I'm the Christ, the Messiah, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against. So Jesus founded his church. Newsflash. Jesus didn't make the denominations. Humans did. And denominations fight on doctrine and we believe in the Holy Spirit. And no, we don't believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts. And we don't believe in the gifts. And we believe you're supposed to stand. And we believe this. And women can't talk. And women can talk. And people fight about all kinds of stuff. And some of you are going, that's my pet doctrine. <laughs> Jesus didn't make the denominations. People did. And, and when I talk about Religious systems, if you grew up with a religious belief that God is out to get you if you mess up, you're going to walk around and if you mess up, you're waiting for lightning to come down from the sky and consume you. You're going to be living in fear. But your relationship with the creator is going to be affected by that belief system of who God is and how he interacts with you. There is Christian leaders out there who have failed humanity. They've failed morally or they failed in their doctrine. I was referencing at first service, there was one guy, if I said his name, some of you would know who he is, but when he was young in ministry, he got this revelation from an angel that women were originally designed to have babies out of their side. Now, I may not be a doctor, but I read an anatomy book. I don't think it's supposed to work that way. Okay, so he got off in the air and someone had to sit him down and correct him and bring him back to truth. Okay, so people can get wonky sometimes when they get away from the word of God. But when we look at people like, some of you know this really evil guy, um, his name was Adolf Hitler. Has anyone heard of Hitler? Now, do you know that Hitler at one point in his life professed to be a Christian? Now, The fruit of his life isn't really consistent with Christian principles (laughs) or love. But Hitler started in some sort of faith, and then he kind of got off in his doctrine and practice because he said, 
well, the Jews are the ones who killed Jesus, so we should go after the Jews and exterminate them. He missed the whole point of why Jesus came. Jesus came to be murdered by humans. Wait, what? <laughs> Some of you look at me funny, but he came to die. If he didn't die, our sin debt would not have been paid. He had to be crucified. He had to die. That's why he came. So God's plan was fulfilled in Jesus coming and under the guidance of the Jewish people of the day. Yeah, sure, they crucified him. But that's a good thing for you and I because salvation wouldn't be available to us without it. Now, I'm not saying we um, need to listen, but I, I think what I'm saying is even Hitler, who later hated the church, we cannot base our relationship with God based on something that someone else has done or said. Okay, you can't. Because if you do that, people are going to let you down and you're not going to have a very good relationship with Jesus. Now, if, if people like your friends or leaders have fallen away into sinful habits, it can really shake your faith as God is good. Or when bad things happen to good people, it can shake your faith in a good God. How many of you know someone that something bad has happened to them even though they're a good person? few of you. The rest of you are just waking up with your coffee. and It's noon now. It's time to come on. Let me read some scripture. Psalms 25, 8, the Lord is good and does what is right. He shows the proper path to those who go astray. Psalms 145, 9, the Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. Nahum 1, 7, I got Nahum in my message, people. Come on. The Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. Matthew 19, words of Jesus. Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Romans 2, 4 in the epistles. Kindness can also be translated goodness in some versions. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? God is good. His goodness is what actually leads us to repent. So the scriptures are clear, and there's many other verses that talk about the goodness of God. The scriptures say God is good. It's an attribute of who he is, okay? The Bible teaches us that. Now, if your experience... <laughs> If you're understanding, if you're there's all these reasons that people sometimes challenge this. They challenge the goodness of God. Now, I was listening to this uh, a message by um, Sean McDowell and J Dr. John Marriott, and they, they were talking about reasons that people deconstruct their faith. So what I did is I, I took some of their reasons and I kind of grouped them a little differently and, and they have some really good explanations, but I'm not trying to go into their explanations. I've just got my own thoughts on the matter for the sake of today. But reasons that people deconstruct, when they have doubts and questions that they cannot seem to get answered. Has anyone ever had a question for God? Has anything ever happened and you're like, why? Tell me why. I want to know. None of you? All of you. But because you don't get the answer fast enough, we get frustrated, so it leads us to go through this, let's break our faith down and find all the flaws in it so that we can make, ex 
when people see hypocrisy, have you ever met a, have you ever met a hypocrite? Every morning when you look in the mirror. Hi. I'm a hypocrite. I don't always practice what I preach. I don't always live what I know. But hopefully I live more like I know today than I did yesterday. I want to be more like Jesus today. And tomorrow I want to be more like him than I am today. We're all in the process. When someone's looking for an excuse to sin, when you desire something more than you desire what God wants for you or desire something more than pleasing him, it will lead you to deconstruct your faith. When people have wrong beliefs or bad theology, how many know wrong beliefs and bad theology will not get you where you want to go? Has anyone ever had a, used a GPS? Global positioning sensor. You know what that is? It's a little thing that you use on your phone or on your car and it kind of tells you where to go. I mean, I was driving one time and it said, navigate off-road and the line went across a field. <laughs> and I'm going... That's a muddy field. My car's not going to make it across that. Actually, I saw some young guys the other day sitting on their front lawn with their Porsche totally sunk into the lawn because they didn't realize if you drive across a wet lawn, the car's going to sink into it. That's unrelated to anything. It just I had a good laugh. I'm like, why? What would inspire you to do that? Call a tow truck. Okay, uh... Wrong beliefs, bad theology. The other, the other thing is, have you ever tried to like uh, put something together and it comes with instructions for assembly, but there's a mistake on the instructions? Yeah. Or, or, or how about this one? I was, I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid. Good Boy Scout. And I was following this map that they gave us with all these waypoints through the forest. And you kind of had to navigate, you know, your, your directions and your compass points and your, and your navigation marks. And, and as I was going through this at the, at the second or third last checkpoint on the map, they actually had a mistake. And being the nerd that I was, I figured out the mistake and I was able to get to the end. So I'm, I'm sitting at the end for like an hour there's 150 kids lost in the woods. They don't know where they're. And finally, one of the leaders said, can I ask you a question? How did you get? I said, oh, well, there was a little error on your map here. And when I figured out what the error was, I was able to navigate the correct direction. And I came. They went back to the, there's 150 kids staying there. They're going, what do we do? There was a mistake on the map. But see, the problem is, if you have bad theology, you're not going to get to where you're supposed to get in your relationship with God. When people are hurt in the church or have experienced spiritual abuse, has anyone ever been hurt in the church? You can all raise your hands because the truth is, if you're with people, you're going to get hurt. You're going to have an opportunity for offense. It's going to happen. It's going to come. Offenses will come. Opportunities for love and mercy and forgiveness. Um, let's see. Sometimes people were never in the faith and they walk away. And then here's one that's kind of more relevant for today, 2024.
There's this idea in the culture that you have to be true to your authentic self. So you don't just take anything that's handed to you from your forefathers, like your parents or other people in leadership. Uh, you know, if you conform to what they tell you, then you're no longer your authentic self. And, and here's the thing. You can deconstruct your faith. You can take it apart. But you cannot reassemble it based on your values, your belief system, and your feelings. You have to go to the truth from the scriptures when you put it back together. But we live in a world where it's all about who? Me. It's what I want. It's what I think. It's, you know. And there's this cultural pressure today to create your own belief system or your own religion. And people are doing this. People create their own religion. Literally, they create their own religion or their own belief system and they twist the scriptures from the word of God to say what they want them to say to justify their own lifestyle. Now, today I find that this creates a lot of challenge for young people in Christianity. Because when the scriptures, the word of God, biblical truth, teach limits on behaviors or restrictions on behaviors for our benefit and the culture embraces said behaviors, it creates a contradiction. For instance, and, and we'll hopefully get into this in some of the other weeks a little bit more detail, but like when I look at something like sexuality and human behavior, what the culture embraces versus what the word of God says are very, very, very different. The Bible talks about marriage as a covenant between one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others. But if I don't want to live within a covenant to the exclusion of all others, guess what? I might need to deconstruct my faith and make sure that's really what the Bible was saying when it said it, even though it says it in a lot of places and it says the same thing. But maybe the author was thinking this, or maybe we can expand our horizons to fit our belief system. And again, we're making our own religion. This is a problem. Well, I was born this way. Nope, God made man and God made woman in his image. That's what it says. So I understand that there's cultural pressure, that there's environmental issues, that there's genetic things that go on now in a fallen system. I get it, but it doesn't make the word of God less true. So this is where we get ourselves into problems, right? So... When you're experiencing a crisis in faith, and, and everyone will at some point, let's strip away the fluff. I get it. Let's simplify it. Let's break it down. Let's look. Because the truth is some of the things that are taught or some of the things that are communicated are not necessarily God. They're just religion. They're just man-made. And, and I'll give you a for instance. There is, I'm going to say there's two sets of principles here, and, and they're not, they're, they're, they work together. For instance, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you should take a alignment class to get into leadership in a local church. But as a matter of function and practice to make sure that people in leadership are all tracking in the same direction, we've made it a requirement in the church for you to take our leadership class. D2LO, to set culture and alignment to make sure that you're tracking with us within the local church. 
Okay, so that rule, okay, is not a scriptural rule. It's a rule for order to administrate, to expound upon, and to execute the plan within here, okay? However, in the word of God, it says repent and be baptized. That's non-negotiable. If you don't repent of your sin and accept the sacrifice of Christ, if you don't get baptized, you're disobeying God, period. So there's some things that pretty straightforward from the scriptures. There's other things that we have to work within. Now, religion, okay, are we religious about some things? In other words, if you don't do these works, is it going to keep you out of heaven? Well, the Bible talks about if you lend to the poor, you lend to the Lord and he will repay. You might have less treasure in heaven. You might have less rank in heaven, less authority in heaven. You'll be in heaven. But think about it. (laughs) Would Would you rather do what God says in this life? so that you can obtain a better resurrection? Or would you rather have a better life now that's temporary and not have a good life in the future? The Bible warns us about those things. So look to the scriptures. The word of God is truth. Talk to a friend that you trust that's experienced in faith. Here's one. Be patient. When you're experiencing a crisis in faith, you have to be patient. Everyone say patience. And pray. How many of you are doing good with your patience today? Yeah, I'm really patient when I'm in church. When you're interacting with someone who's experiencing a crisis in faith, remember, Jesus loves humans. Gotta love people. When people are struggling, they need love. Be patient with them. Pray. Here's one, Philippians 1, 9 to 11. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Love is your motive. Now watch. I've suggested to you that There is a crisis in faith. There is these dark nights. There's these challenges that come up. The challenge in and of itself is not good or evil. It's not good, good. It's not evil, evil. It's it's just, it's a challenge, okay? And what happens is these simplifying of our faith and looking at the root beliefs that we have, because sometimes you have a core belief that's wrong about God, And because you have a core belief that's wrong about God, you interact with him improperly. Or you have an expectation on him that's not realistic. And so simplifying, 
these crises of faith, they can lead you into a deeper relationship with God, a deeper faith with God, a deeper trust in God. Or in some cases, it can lead you the opposite direction and people run away from God. But usually when people are running away from God, it's, it's because of those things that I read earlier, those nine or eight reasons where people deconstruct their faith. So let's stand together. And, you know, as we come to the communion table today to celebrate the Lord's Supper, you know, the Bible tells us to, as often as we gather, celebrate his death till he comes. But I have a couple little thoughts here, just a few, three, four. Sometimes religion will put you in bondage or produce shame in your life. Religion is always when man has a better way than God. And, uh, you know, people, people want to help God. They want to do it their way. They don't want to do it God's way. Throughout history, we've seen many times where people take matters into their own hands and try to solve things for God. And, and sometimes there's people that do not represent Christianity well. Hopefully none of us, but all of us at times don't represent Christianity as well as we could or should or need to. And that's where repentance and humility comes in. And sometimes churches can teach bad doctrine. They can teach bad concepts, bad beliefs about God and the world he created. And sometimes you see people that get deceived by the culture. They get sucked into the cultural norms, even though the scriptures are very clear on what the biblical norm is. So Jesus, as we come to the table today, to celebrate your death, as your word says. You know, your body, which was broken for us, for healing, for freedom. Lord, I thank you where there's crisis and there's struggle in faith, Lord, that you, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, is what the word of God says. So in the struggle, Lord, help us to not just ask questions, but look to your word for answers and look to truth. Not the lies, not the misrepresentations, not the offense and the hurt. We lay that down for everyone that's hurt us and everyone that's mistreated us or abused us. We give that to you, Jesus, and we ask you to exchange the hurt for healing. Exchange the shame, Lord. We lay it at your feet. That we can humbly be accepted in your presence as sons and daughters today. So Jesus, I declare health, healing, wholeness, restoration, freedom to every heart and mind right now. Life to everybody in the room. Heal, Lord people. In Jesus' name. And Lord, as we stand here with the cup, the blood of the new covenant, really that was spilled for us. Without your sacrifice, there would be no forgiveness. I know in a moment we're going to hear from the teachers of the greatest class in the church 
But I thank you, Lord, as we're at the table, we can lay our burdens down. We can lay our struggles down. And where our faith is being tested, Lord, that we can have a perspective that it's producing endurance within us. When there's challenge, Lord, we can embrace it, knowing that you're working something out inside of us. Lord, we release forgiveness and we release offense. We release hurt. We lay that at your feet. In turn, we receive your forgiveness. We receive your mercy and your grace. Empower your people. Fill us with your spirit, with your presence, with your power. And let your love reign supreme in our lives that we could walk in love at all times towards all people. As you continue to mature your body, help us today because we desperately need you, Father. morning, church. God is good. And all the time, God is good. From uh, Romans 14, 23. For whatever does not proceed with, from faith is sin. Questions and struggles of faith are something that we all experience in different times of our walk. And it can be conflicting and, and quite devastating to us we have our beliefs challenged or worse when it results as a, a, in a disconnection from God and sometimes I think it starts with too much faith in ourselves and our own understandings and listening to our own wants and desires and this is in a world where unfaithfulness is accepted applauded and raised up we know the scriptures are clear the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity and Jesus talks about people of little faith and people with worry or walking in fear without confidence in him. If we are truly living in a gospel-fluent life, everything in our life and its challenges should be viewed through the lens of the gospel. And we should look at the struggles of our lack of faith or fear against our belief in the works of the cross. Because if you truly believe Christ died for all our sins, including the disbelief, and Calvary was out of love for you and I, then just stop and reflect. Reflect on his character of his unshifting shadow. Remain steadfast in him, the one that you know. Our trust is not foolish, for our God is both faithful and good. Have we not all tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Amen. Um, just want to... Uh First off, um, dispel a myth about the greatest class at WCF. The greatest, Eva greatest yeah, evangelism class. I might have missed that part. You might have, yes. Norm. Um, <laughs> I just got to say, Norm. But um, the class, yeah, we do love Norm. He's a handful. <laughs> I do, do want to say that the class is actually facilitated not just by us, but of those in the ministry. So, you know, when we talk about being equipped, members, you know, people in the church, parts of the ministry are the ones that are facilitating that class. So I just want to say that as we, as we impart in each other and we disciple one another, 
Norm does not teach the whole class. Okay. So. You're good, though. You do teach oh, some of the classes. Thank you for your... Uh, no, I, I say that in love. I'm just teasing him. Anyways, you know, when we thought of, when I, we thought about and we prayed about the upcoming message and in, in hearing Pastor RJ's message, thank you so much. And just and, and just reading the scriptures, one of the things that came to mind was fear in crisis. And just how, you know, there's a lot of talk of fear in the scripture and in our unbelief. And you were talking about unbelief. And in the New Testament, we hear Jesus tell the apostles regularly not to fear and to walk in him. Amen. And, and in, in sharing and experiencing, even in my own personal life, and I know all of us have experienced hardships and crisis, it's a part of life. And Christ told us not to fear. He's overcome everything. And I, I know in my life, and I know many of you have experienced in your own lives, that when we stand, when we, 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 we experience opposition, when we stand firm in our identity, when we stand firm in the word, um, when there are tribulations, when they come, and um, they're going to come. It's just a part of life. So then in those moments, I know for myself, and we encourage you, and Pastor RJ has mentioned, we remember God's word. And we remember who Christ is. We remember who we serve. We remember who he says we are. And so the word has been imparted in you today. The kingdom of God is within you. Uh, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way as you go about his purpose, his work, and understanding. And be unbothered. Be unbothered as you go through this process. There is only one ju judgment that we should be, that should be paramount in our lives. Psalms 34, 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. As we leave this morning and prepare for the upcoming week, we pray over this house upon our brothers and sisters and our families to fight all battles with their shield of faith and armed with the belt of truth in the word, not of the world. And on our knees, united in prayer and worship, Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped. Now go 